Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the podcast is Dublin-born, London-based artist Orla Gartland. I think that qualifier is important because we have to tackle the David Kitt story, quote unquote. On his Facebook page on July 29th, David Kitt wrote, I'm being forced to leave the country I love as I can't afford to live in my hometown anymore. I don't want to go. It feels like one of the best periods of creativity I've lived through in this city. Having given most of my adult life working my ass off in a profession where those with the power repeatedly fail their own and book festival lineups that make us look like a regional city of the UK rather than a country brimming with original talent that deserves more help and platform and proper reward. But that's only 1% of the story. More importantly and worryingly, Fine Gael are failing the city and its people massively and Dublin's heart and soul is being ripped out and sold to the highest bidder. The house I live in just got sold as part of a portfolio to a group of European investors. It will be sold or rented, no doubt, to someone working for Amazon on a base salary of 70k, while the people who make this city what it is are forced out to the suburbs or to a city they can afford a reasonable quality of life and where their level of income doesn't make them feel like a complete failure. The bottom line is all the real money is being repatriated. The growth is not sustainable or real. Have we learned nothing from the last boom and bust cycle? It's worse than the Celtic Tiger though and the price is too high in terms of people and culture. It's sickening but nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. It will end in tears. The comments got a lot of uh, traction and David, who was on this podcast earlier this year, uh, you can um, check it out on the archive. He qualified his comments a few days later on his Facebook page. Uh, He does have political ties and I think that was an unfair rock uh, to throw at him. Uh, I don't think that it was really the fair criticism to make. I think he was making very valid points. And he also said, uh, lastly, to those talking about Dublin not being the centre of the Irish universe, I get it, but that's not really the point. There's a whole lot more to this country that I'll miss beyond Dublin. Maybe there are those in our midst who are happy to see Dublin turn into Google Town and to see the back of lowly artists like myself. But judging by the response here, I'm not alone. And that gives me some hope for the future of the city. I was at All Together Now. Uh, last weekend a new festival that started up in Waterford and there were a lot of people talking about uh, the David Kitt story and so I thought that it was important that he like started a conversation and I want to continue the conversation here. Uh, I've talked to a few artists both at home and abroad and the various views on what's happening in Dublin and Ireland and whether the grass is really indeed greener on the other side and whether like how parched it is to continue uh, this metaphor in Dublin at the moment. Um, So that's what I'm going to do with the next couple of episodes of The Point of Everything um, podcast. Uh, If you think you have something to offer in terms of what's happening in Dublin, maybe if you're living abroad and you want to discuss how, you know, you, you can leave Dublin, that there is there is that option there for you. you can um yeah if you want to get anything off your chest just get in contact with me at the point of everything at gmail.com or on twitter at tpoe blog and so back to today's guest after all that orla gartland got big on youtube a couple of years ago and she moved to london to kind of continue her journey that began in dublin uh she, i th- thought she was really, really open in conversation and I found her optimism quite refreshing, particularly in relation to Patreon, which I would kind of, I've criticised in the past because Roisin Murphy, who kind of went on a bit of a Twitter rant uh, in July, I think uh, a lot of people were saying to her when she was complaining about like not getting played on the radio and 
how difficult it is to make money in music these days. A lot of people were saying, you know, you should get on Patreon, you should get on Patreon or Patreon or however you pronounce it. And uh, I was kind of like, this can't be the cure to all artists. And I guess it doesn't have to be. Orla's really, really making it work for her. Uh, I won't spoil what she says because she explains it far better than I ever could. Uh, so you can check her out at patreon.com forward slash Orla Gartland. She recently released her first new music in a few years with I Go Crazy, which is a really, really great pop song. Uh, it's up on Spotify and all of the rest. And so I began by asking Orla if she'd been keeping up with the quote unquote David Kitt story. Um, yeah, I saw originally I saw the 909 article before I saw David's posts. I didn't follow him before all of this, actually. Um, I'm kind of a, a different situation in that I moved from Dublin but never paid rent in Dublin. I've been living in London for four years. I finished by leaving five years ago. So I basically, any time I have been home, I've been lucky enough to stay in my family home in Trumcondra. So I didn't go from here to there and feel the like the pinch of being pushed out. Um for me, I'm a musician full time. That's what I've always done. And I couldn't, I just couldn't make sense of the music scene at home. And I had a few friends that were moving over here doing the whole get a manager, get a label thing. And I was like, oh, that, that seems, that, that seems doable. Um, yeah, I think the, I think the music scene at home in lots of ways has, is thriving so much more than when I left it. Um, when I left, I just felt like there was a lot of like sitting around and waiting for the late, late to call you. <laughs> A lot of like missing out on gigs to people whose cousins worked in MCD, things like that. Obviously, that, that all happens here as well. But I kind of like, I felt the lure of kind of, I say the big city. I live in the sleepy west suburbs of London, so I'm not really in the in the thick of it. But I definitely, I, I, I've always loved the place. And I think it kind of, if you're able to stomach it, it can make you a better artist than when you came because it is tough and it's different you have to figure out what makes you different in your field and milk it and work really hard I think you can get away with a lot at home um so in a way I kind of did I, I didn't come here thinking it'd be an enjoyable few years I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought but I don't see myself here forever either um but yeah I think the thing I related to the, th the when I read David's post the it hammered home for me the irony of like you said, it's the, it's the musicians and the artists of these cities that give them this vibrance, like how many tourists see the film once and they want to come and walk down Grafton Street. And the irony of it is that people that do things like the busker in that film uh, can can barely afford to live there now, even though that's the pull of so much of it. It's the music, it's the art, it's the culture. And actually, the people at the heart of that are often being pushed out. Like it's the irony and the sadness of that was probably my biggest take home from that article. And yeah, I, I completely see the pull of places like Berlin, like these cheaper places to live. And I just, I do think it's a real shame. I guess you kind of explained what you meant there with the Dublin music scene that you couldn't really make sense of it. Was it a sense of like who, you know, rather than what you did? Yeah, I think so. And, and don't get me wrong, there's like an element of that everywhere, I think. But it just felt like I just couldn't figure out what the door in was exactly. Um, and I used to busk as well. There was a couple of lads called Hudson Taylor who were in a band who were actually the, the lads who I said who were over here. And I kind of I just followed them over, basically. I was like, hey. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think, well, the Internet, I feel with the Internet, if you if you play that game cleverly, you can sort of 
you can sort of make a go of it no matter where you are in, in one way. Um, but Irish people, including me, we have a very particular taste and I just, I didn't, I didn't find I wanted to be creative. I found it I wanted to play songs on my acoustic guitar forever because we're Irish. We love acoustic guitars. <laughs> I didn't find, I didn't find any pull to like creatively push myself anywhere beyond what was like quite safe territory. Um, and not to take a stab, but I feel like a lot of that music does do really well at home. Um, whereas I was looking over here and I just felt like I was seeing creatively, there was just a bit more of a mix and, and actually more so in America. And in a way the UK music scene is, is, um, is similarly bland. I'm sounding very negative. I, I love Dublin and I love London, but I just could, I couldn't figure out my place in it and I couldn't close my eyes and imagine um, building a career for myself in Dublin. But I definitely want to, uh, I definitely want to return. And I think I found a certain kind of hostility is a bit of a dramatic word, but I think our humour in Ireland, um, we love to just like rip people out of it. And actually, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a really uniquely Irish thing. You know, if someone goes, oh, you, you you want to be a musician, you want to be on stage, it is like, oh, good for you. All right, yeah, you think you're great, do you? You must think you're really fucking great. <laughs> um, there is a little bit of, you know, anyone trying to break the mold is definitely seen as, it's a bit of notions, isn't it? Um, so I find that a bit tough. But then again, if you're, if you, if you make something of yourself elsewhere, and then you come home, then you're like hometown hero. I saw that happen with a lot of acts and I definitely think after the likes of Code Lines did well elsewhere, elsewhere and came back, I think it was like everyone was Steve's cousin all of a sudden kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I definitely see myself returning to Ireland. I, I don't think I, I think if I did something other than music, I would have considered staying, like for sure. Um, but yeah, it was just, a, there is a music scene at home. I just I guess I wasn't in it and I couldn't quite make sense of it from the outside. I, I I always think that about Irish acts as well, kind of thing. It's like, like when when you're you're doing good stuff in Ireland, but only Irish audiences or Irish people are talking about you online. It's like people think you're good and everything, but then once someone once like the Guardian or Pitchfork or something outside of Ireland is saying, "Oh, this band is actually pretty good. You should check them out." Irish people love them. You know? Oh my God! It's it changes everything. Like I know, I know. Codeline had. A, I don't live too far from Swords, and I know quite a few people up there. And they always talk about Codeline's early years. They had a different name, and people just weren't paying attention. I don't know the story exactly, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of that. And I think James Joseph McMorrow is probably another good example. I think people who um, who who get signed outside of Ireland or prove themselves in America or or get like a moment of spotlight elsewhere. I think it's easier to come home than and kind of command the respect of, of, of the, the Irish people. Um, I just think, yeah, for me, it was less about that and more just a creative thing where I wanted to learn to produce myself. I wanted to, I just wanted to grow and, and evolve and be better than just sitting in my room in Dublin, writing my songs. Like I wanted to kind of make more of a, more of a go at it. And I wanted to work with other people. I wanted to write for other people. I just like all these scenes. I just couldn't. They do exist at home, but um, I wasn't a BIM or anything. You know, I wasn't really in it. God, it sounds like a, such a such a stop story. Um, so yeah, I think I think it would have been very easy for someone like me. I think I could have stayed home and been like the best singer songwriter in my road in Drum Contra and like lived off the glory of that for a few years and made the same kind of music again and again and just sort of. Um, basked in that but I for me there was some there was something to be said for coming here and 
it scares the shit out of you, but I, I think if you can handle it, it makes you makes you better at whatever you do. And so it was about four years ago, I think you said that you moved over to London, like straight away when you moved, were you like, oh, this was the right thing for me. This is like instantly your eyes were opened by like the opportunities on offer in London. Yes and no. Like I had a few, like I said, the Hudson Taylor lads, I had a few friends that were over here. Um, that first, I mean, I was incredibly lucky. It meant that I had a couch to stay on. It meant that I had an example to follow. Um, and I don't, it's not to say here that like the music industry is like super easy to tap into. I think the, it was just the case that the only people I knew that were in music as a full-time serious job would just happen to be in London. Um, I found it interesting as well. I found there were like, there were Irish people living over here and not telling anyone. I remember bumping into the Corona the Coronas on a night out. I was like, what are you lads doing over here? They were like, we live in Camden. We've lived here for years. I was like, what? Like it was this weird kind of sneaky thing where people were either making these big trips over here to do right and, or they were living here and kind of almost trying to hide it. It was, it was really interesting. It was almost like a, there was like a shame that, I think it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it, coming to London to do something like music? <laughs> so I think people were, I found a lot of people were almost ashamed of being over here. Um, but yeah, no, for, yeah, so I did my leaving five years ago and I moved here four years ago. I had a year of going back and forth, trying to do writing sessions. I got a manager that was over here. So again, the only people I knew that could do anything for me just happened to be over here. Um, yeah, and then I moved about four years ago, lived in southeast London for two years. Now I'm in west and yeah yeah no signs of going back just yet and so like have you like really taken uh advantage of what is on offer have you like been playing gigs every night and meeting new people and like just really trying to hone what you're trying to do not playing as many gigs as I probably could have been um but I definitely have taken advantage of I think what a lot of people come here to do um is to kind of build your team I think like this city is full of managers, full of labels if you want to go down that route, full of booking agents, full of producers, full of songwriters. And actually that's kind of been the biggest, that was the biggest pull for me and almost what's kept me here is that there's just huge creative community. Um, if I want to, like I have a lovely publisher who I can call up and say, I want to do a month of co-writing for the people every single day and she'll just she'll just make that happen. Suddenly I'll have a calendar that's full of that. And it's, that that's like a real again that's the kind of years and years of building up people who I want to be around me but that was definitely much easier to do when I was in the city where a lot of them are based um but what I've seen a lot of people do as well and kind of what I have in the back of my head um I think when you do an artist thing it's it's kind of sometimes an idea to come somewhere like London to kind of build your team find those people like I think even on the creative side your producer is quite an important one somebody you want to record an album with um the songwriters you want to work with like I said, booking agents, managers, publishers, etc. If you can have a couple of years of braving it here, building their team, then you can kind of live wherever and then you can come back and do really focused trips. Then you could live in France if you want. Then you come over, fill in for two weeks, get your stuff done, not waste time because you know exactly who you're working with and then you're in and out really. So that's probably in the back of my head that if I ever wanted to live, I'd love to live in Europe, but I'd love to try living in America. Um, all of that is kind of possible, but I think I wanted to find my people that will help me in my career and it's easier to, for them to be based in the one place, I suppose. And then you can kind of come, you can come back and forth, you can do trips um, and know what you're doing. But the, doing the circuit for me, the, the co-writing circuit, the that took ages and I, don't, I couldn't imagine doing that properly and not being based over here. Like 
it's a lot of jumping around from different studios and speed dating a lot of co-writers and producers. Like, it takes a while to find your people on the creative side if, if you do work with other people. And that's, again, the difference with someone like David, I suppose. My understanding is that he's probably – there's people who are very self-sufficient. I think if you produce and write all your own stuff, in theory, you couldn't be based anywhere. I think that's incredibly lucky as well. For me, I needed the guidance of someone else to work under – I'd love to one day produce my own stuff and be that self-sufficient, but I didn't have those skills coming out of school. So, yeah, there was a little bit of reliance there and a bit of a need to be somewhere like this. And so you were talking about like the Hudson Taylor guys who are already here who kind of uh, showed you the ropes of living in London, I suppose. Have you found yeah. in the four years that you've been there that like other musicians have been coming over and you've been showing them the ropes? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, actually. There's quite a few... Um, really good singer-songwriters who I, every time, I, they don't actually live here. There's likes of like Alvaredi and Anya Cahill. Um, they don't live over here. I don't think they have any plans to. I, honestly, anytime anyone's considering moving over, I'm just like, don't do it unless you feel you absolutely have no other choice because I absolutely love Dublin. Every time I go back, there's, abs- there's no uh, there's no resentment or anything for me. I just, I, I see the pure good in it because I haven't had a chance to resent it, if that makes sense. I've kept it very pure for myself. Um, but yeah, when the likes of Anya and Alva and bands from home come over here to gig or to write, um, I always make an effort to just like go meet up with them for pints. And because often they're coming over and they don't know anyone over here, so I'm not exactly showing them the ropes. But it's kind of uh, it's no fun like coming over for two weeks and sitting in a sitting in your Airbnb. So. Yeah, I've definitely tried to make an effort to reach out. And I was very lucky to know people coming over, like the Hudson Taylor boys and a few people they knew. And it would have been very hard to imagine what that experience would have been like without having couches to stay on and having people to keep me company. So, yeah, that's like a hugely daunting part of it for people and something, again, that I was incredibly lucky with. So you wouldn't recommend people like up and leave Dublin at the first sign that like, oh, you know, my rent is going up. Oh, I don't know if I want to live in the city anymore. You think that it should be like a, you know, like consider everything, like really think about whether you want to actually leave and whether you want to, I don't know, I guess take advantage of living in London. Yeah, I wouldn't. Like I love living here now. It took me, I think probably a year or two to really adjust to the scale of it and have the difference in culture I always I always thought I was like we all speak English it's the same thing but it's different it's a different sense of humor it's a different attitude towards life it's it's lots of things that are different and I definitely found that tough and when people speak about moving over here I don't ever discourage them for it like I think it's really helped me grow as a person especially because I didn't go to college so in a way this was my my year first year two or three here felt like my education and being a musician really because that's what it was like I wasn't living from it full-time straight away I was like working in cafes I was like doing as much as I could um but yeah when people say they want to move over I never discourage them but I, I definitely do say like you know don't just resent Dublin because that's where you grew up and you're a bit bored like it is getting better from when I left like there are more small venues popping up um yeah rents are going up for everyone that sucks <laughs> um but there is more of a scene. I think what BIM has done for the city is like pretty massive. If you want to have a band of Irish session musicians and have them be amazing, like that's a very attainable thing to do now. There's way more of a scene of like young up and coming talent than when I left. When I left, I think BIM was in its first or second year and I was very close to going, but I didn't, it was a little bit off-putting for me that there had been no graduates and I couldn't really see what, what that looked like. Um, 
but I think things like that have been really good. But yeah, I can't argue that the rents are sky high. I think I probably pay less here than I what I would pay if I was living in Dublin. Right. Um, when I speak to friends, it's mental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, it yeah, it does sound like it's getting worse uh, as well. I think that's why David Kitt just kind of feels a little forced. I guess it's different when you feel forced as opposed to like you chose to live in London. Yeah, I mean, there was an element of having no other choice in a way, but not to a dramatic extent. But like I said, the only people I knew in music were over here, so it was less of a forced situation, more of like a no-brainer. But I think. Um, yeah, I guess the difference beyond music is that like Dublin's just it's it's also smaller than here. Like you can't really go any further out. Whereas I live in Ealing, which is super, super west. I'm in like proper sleepy suburbs. Um, because London is just bigger and it can afford the tube makes it feel all a bit closer together, but it can afford to keep pushing out a little bit. So you can make it work. But yeah, there's obviously like I've always had to live with people I've never I've never been able to live over here and afford it on my own. Like there are definitely sacrifices that you do make. Um but yeah, I think the same has to be said for people at home. And again, I like I think if you're a bit older, you have a family, like again, all of that makes it so much more tough. And I'm kind of aware that I'm coming at this whole thing from a place of like privilege, really. I've only myself to look after at the moment. And so yeah, I definitely um I definitely get where David's coming from completely. And I think it's so sad. And like I said, you know, it's a real um there's a real pressure on people like musicians and artists to base themselves in somewhere like Dublin or London to build their team and start their career. They don't have to end it here, but that's there's an incredible kind of, not irony, but there's an incredible stupidity in, you know, unless you come from money or you come from savings from a previous job or something, really, the amount of time that you have to put into just honing your craft and developing in your very earliest stages of anything Um your life needs to just not be earning a lot really and so really got this weird thing with something like music and a lot of other creative industries where at the point of your life in which you're likely to be earning very little money there is a pressure on you to live in some of the most expensive cities in the world same for LA and New York and America it's just it's yeah hopefully the internet like gives people that are in different areas like a more of a chance but I think that's like incredibly sad because you know, all these cities are, they're tough to live in when you don't have money. <laughs> like when I came here first, I had not signed my publishing deal. I hadn't even started working in cafes. I was like, it was really, really tough. And the funny thing with something like music as well is that, you know, I had people around me that were signing record deals at 18 and 19. So suddenly they had money and the rest of us didn't. You have a thing where they're going, should we get a taxi into Soho? And you're like, no, I'm going to walk. <laughs> So it is, there's an incredible, you know, even within the musical community, there's a big disparity there. And I think it's a real shame. But like, I think the internet is probably helping that. I think people being able to get attention in another way other than being based in one of these cities, like that's hopefully going to make it possible for people to live wherever they like, hopefully. Um, is music your full-time thing now or are you still having to like work in cafes as well like just to just to pay the rent um, it's been full-time for two years which has been really good um, but it's also I mean I've had to definitely learn to be savvy and I've definitely learned how to make money in other ways that I wouldn't have had, I've thought about like one thing that I do that's been like a real like godsend has been uh, there's this, page, this thing called Patreon. Oh, yeah. It's like a platform. Um, 
I'm lucky enough because I come from a sort of YouTube background. I'm lucky enough to have a bit of an audience that are mainly online, mainly in the States actually. Um, and so, yeah, the idea with this Patreon thing is kind of like an ongoing crowdfunder. You don't really have to shout about it as much as something like a Kickstarter, but you basically create like a paywall around some kind of exclusive content. And then people who are like super fans of you and whatever you do can pay, let's say a dollar a month ongoing to gain access to whatever it is you're putting up, whether it's videos drawings whatever it is that you do for me I, I do demos I just do monthly home demos of songs that I don't put anywhere else and yeah I have about seven or eight hundred people on there that give me like certain amounts and then we'll do like a dollar a month or they might give 10 some give 50 so they all just yeah they basically choose which is again incredibly lucky that's because I have this audience on that I can do that but that makes up like the big bulk of my income definitely it takes a bit of maintenance, like all these things. I have to keep churning out content within that to keep those people there and keep them engaged. But again, like I probably, I think if I was living at home in my bedroom, not playing rent, and like if I was at home with my parents, I probably wouldn't have had to think of things like that, you know. Wow, I, d- I didn't realize. I'm just looking at your Patreon there. I would have, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, like I saw people talking about Patreon as something that like musicians should consider doing more of. I think that it was in terms of um, Roisin Murphy. She was kind of complaining about kind of the lack of attention oh, that yeah. she was getting for her music. And people were saying like, you should start a Patreon. You, were, you should start a Patreon. And I was thinking like that there's such a pressure that comes with actually maintaining a Patreon. I can't believe that you put your demos up there. I thought that people, <laughs> people would be so, or musicians would be so precious about what they actually create. Do you see it as a kind of um, a proving ground for your demos? Like if, like if Yeah, well, I'm definitely precious. Don't get me wrong. I'm like total control freak. So I'm completely precious at what I put on YouTube and SoundCloud and Spotify. But the beauty of something like Patreon is that it's not public. That's kind of the whole point. It's like a really old school fan club, like on a forum type thing. You're kind of taking the people who care most about whatever you do, putting them in the one place. And actually, unlike, you know, I, I, I don't know if you have a Facebook page to, to kind of promote anything, but like, well, Facebook's dead. Yeah. Like you can't reach the people who have gone out of their way to like your page. Twitter is, you, you can definitely appear on their timeline, but it's like an ever ticking, <laughs> ever um, rolling kind of conveyor belt. So you're likely to kind of get lost in the in the mass of that as well. So that's the only good, I mean, aside from the, the money side of it, like with Patreon, at least you're taking the people who care most. They're getting a notification to their email by virtue of being there. They care about what you do. You know, there's a, it's a bit more of a committal thing than, a, than an Instagram follow, isn't it? So I think beyond the money side of it I definitely recommend it to people and I think when it's hard to start it from scratch like you have to have some kind of audience because you know it's like I said it's a bit more committal and if you have an online audience even better because I think the concept is maybe a little bit strange to us still over here but I think Americans have really taken to it I've definitely found the bulk of the people that support me on there from the states so yeah, I definitely recommend it to people. I think it's great. And the beauty of that, again, you know, even looking forward for myself, like I can do that from anywhere. So really, if I'm getting the bulk of my income from something that is not uh, a weekly covers gig in a particular physical place, then yeah, I definitely have it in the back of my head that like I could move to Berlin tomorrow and still have that, still tap into that and still keep that alive. So yeah, I've definitely, things like that, I've definitely played my fair share of like soulless wedding cover gigs. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's definitely, I've, I've had to become a more entrepreneurial version of myself than I think I would have if I had 
stayed at home and lived at my parents' house. But then again, if I'd stayed at home and just moved out in Dublin, moved into the city centre, like I would have had to do the same because, like I said, I would have been paying just as much, if not more, rent. So, yeah, it definitely pushes yourself. And again, this all comes down to the type of person that you are at the point of your career and your life that you are. Because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you got to sell out a little bit and whatever you do. <laughs> so there's definitely that. I hate asking people for money. Like it absolutely kills me. But obviously something like this is perfect because it's not like a Kickstarter where you're begging people to give you 20 quid at a time. You're kind of asking them to give you a dollar a month yeah. from their PayPal. It's, it's, it's very reasonable and it's all kind of, it's a kind of collective pot that you get every so often and also people hold you accountable like i say they will unsubscribe on there if you don't keep putting stuff up so it's definitely been something yeah i think if anyone was considering it i'd just say like make sure you have enough time to do it you, you don't start a patreon and kind of sit back and post once a month but uh yeah i thought those roshin posts were really interesting it's yeah so i think you, you got to see yourself more as a small business consider like all possible streams of income and yeah, it's a lot relentless. And one thing I remember in the 9 and 9 article that I thought was really interesting, there was a point in which he mentioned, you know, uh, living in Cork or Galway and kind of mentioned that the rent there often isn't much better. But more than anything, if you're living in one of those places and commuting up to Dublin, that like two or three hours commute is not just inconvenient, but also like detrimental to your mental health after a while, depending on what you like. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Like I'm very lucky to kind of be the age that I am to be like to know no different I don't know what it feels like to have a salary so I can't miss it um I'm lucky enough to you know have like a drive and a passion and a kind of to a certain extent a naivety about what I do but uh I'm sure I'm sure that won't always be the case uh and let's talk about uh the music you've just released your first single in a couple of years I go crazy uh what yes. what's what's next for you now are you uh gearing towards an album I hope so. Yeah, like I said, I was doing the rounds of, of, of co-writers and producers for years, just trying to find my people. And also to grow myself. Like, I didn't, um, I never went to, to BIM or any of those kind of songwriting colleges. So really, I wanted an education myself and, like, how to do that and you figure out, figuring out what you want to sound like. Turns out that takes, that takes ages, <laughs> especially when you're like me and you just like lots of different things. So... Yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm in it now. I'm working on the next song, and um, yeah, well, I released music last time. I released music was three years ago, which feels absolutely crazy. And again, I was I don't think I would have released the music I released three years ago if I didn't have a bit of an audience. Like I felt pressure there to kind of to fire something out to keep those people there and and to you know to give them something to listen to. Um, but I don't think I was ready at all. Like in hindsight, I didn't know what I wanted or what I wanted to sound like. It was. It was very kind of out of my control. So now I feel far more in control of it. And in a way, in a lot of ways, this kind of feels like the beginning, really, because I kind of know I've got my head screwed on now with what I want to do, I hope. So, yeah, I'm working on the next song, Followed Up, hopefully doing the EP at the end of the year. Um, yeah, I did a couple of headline shows in May, planning another tour. It's, it feels, feels really good again. That's great. It sounds like, you know, you're you're making it work and uh, you're making this music thing uh, like continue your musical journey continue. So I think that it's great that you're kind of seeing it as a, not as a business, but like, as you said, you know, you're 
kind of making it work for you. I think a lot of people might have kind of romantic notions about what a career in music still looks like. You know, I think the people think, oh, yeah. oh I'm I'm a genius. I'm just going to sit on my couch and make a demo and the world is going to come for me. Whereas you're like showing the world like like your talents and how you have grown, I think. Yeah, I think creative people in general, are. we really struggle to talk about money. We struggle with the idea that we could want to have money. <laughs> you know, kind of this whole thing of like, oh, it's for the art, man. It's yeah. like, I have that in me. Like, I chose to do a very hippie-ish thing in my life. But I'm also like happy to admit that like I want to live like a comfortable <laughs> life. And I, I'm also playing the, the long game with this as well. Like, you know, like I said, I was releasing music three years ago starting to kind of hopefully build like a little thing for myself and got to do the the late late at home so my granny was very proud of me but there are a lot of be- I, I I reached a point for myself where I kind of sat down with a few managers at home actually and I kind of said like I feel like my project's running away from me like I don't know what I want to do I think I really need to like basically kind of disappear for a few years and really figure it out and a lot of people said you can't do that like once you get something going you just have to keep going that's just the time that we live in you got to keep firing stuff out constantly and I kind of I don't know, for better or for worse, decided to kind of ignore that and was like, no, I really want to, I don't want to put anything out until I'm proud of it again. I'm not, I'm not willing to sort of, I don't know, compromise. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely like, there's been times where I could have been far more business minded about things I've done. Um, so I've got, you have to have a little hippie streak in you. <laughs> <laughs> that was so interesting about um, Patreon. I, uh, I don't know. I think I I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone because if you recommend it to yeah. everyone, it, it it's gonna make it so uh so much thinner the amount of people that will actually subscribe to everything. You know, like I have a couple out, mm. and I already think that like, oh, I don't know if I can if I want to afford any more. And then you almost feel bad about not doing it. You know, what you have Patreon where you subscribe to people. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, like I've subscribed to, you know, just a couple of um, podcasts, like Second Captains and stuff like oh, that. And yeah. it's only a five or a month. But it's been interesting, yeah, like Irishman Abroad has started it now as well. I don't know if you listen to him. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's interesting because w- once everyone starts doing it, I think pe- the backlash will uh, will grow sort of thing. Yeah, I have very mixed feelings about crowdfunding, to be honest, because I kind of, I really, really don't like Kickstarter and Pledge and Indiegogo. Yeah, I just think I, I think it turns you into a bit of a charity, and I think I don't know. I just I would feel uncomfortable about spamming everyone for weeks and weeks, going, "I need to do an album. I need your help. Please give me yeah. twenty euro quick." I think you know you can. I've seen people do like a really good job of it and make it like very non tragic. But there's um this is really good TED talk actually um by this woman called Amanda Palmer um called the Art of Asking. And she, I think, is like one of the most successful people on Patreon. She gets like 11 or 12 grand per thing she puts out and puts out like multiple things a month. Um, But again, like has a team that she's hired to maintain that, like definitely does it on like a very, like bit more of an industrial scale. But it's a really interesting TED Talk. It definitely helps me. People were, because I come from this kind of YouTube background and people are, I know loads of people have done Patreon since the very beginning. It's like it's only been around for three or four years, but um, I was definitely being pushed to do it for ages before I gave in, and I was very resistant. <laughs> I was like, no, I want to keep yeah. making coffees for everyone. <laughs> 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 it's all about the art, man. It's just, it is hard. It's hard to ask, but the reality of it is that if you can, if you have enough of an audience to, to keep it going like it's the equivalent of a salary for a creative person yeah. like that just doesn't like 
give or take, unless you piss loads of people off, mm-hmm. he gets pretty much the same amount every month, which just like, I don't, there's just no other area of something like music in which like that exists. So yeah, I definitely, yeah, I, like, like I said, I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. And I think yeah, some people, some people are more suited to it than others, but I, I found it really good. 